Hi, my name is Sarah Rachel Brown. I'm a 30-something-year-old woman, and I live in Philadelphia. I'm a contemporary jeweler. And like many others, I am an artist trying to make a living. On this podcast, I'm going to broach the subject of value. I'll be talking to studio artists and performers, educators and administrators, and anyone else attempting to combine their creative endeavors with how they get a paycheck. Hey, Happy New Year. And also, congratulations. The holidays are over. We all survived. I'm currently sitting in a sweet little office at the Aramont School of Art and Crafts in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. I'm currently down here for the week-long invitational residency, Pentaculum. And in the coming episodes of this podcast, I'll be discussing exactly what this residency is, why I'm here, and how it got to be what it is today. So stay tuned. Also, there's artists from all over the country here right now, and I'm spending my week-long residency conducting interviews and working on technical difficulties and just lining up some really great episodes for you all in 2018. And speaking of Aramont, in 2016, during my residency here, I was awarded a professional development grant, and I used that grant to attend Munich Jewelry Week in Germany. Not familiar with what that is? Don't worry, we'll get to that. My intention with attending Jewelry Week was to gain exposure to and just some knowledge of the international art jewelry community. I just, I kept hearing about certain international art fairs and events such as Hoya in Barcelona, Spain, or Sirad in Amsterdam. I'm not exactly sure I'm pronouncing that right. But my curiosity around who attends these functions or what their purpose is just kept growing. And coming from a craft school background, I, I had little or no knowledge of what was going on overseas within the contemporary jewelry community. And I really wanted to be a part of it or just, you know, find out what was going on. And I figured the best way to do that was to experience one of these gatherings firsthand. My guest today is a contemporary jeweler who is quite engaged with the global art jewelry community. Mallory Weston has exhibited numerous times internationally. She's presented at the Zimmerhof Symposium, which is held in Germany, and her work can be found in the permanent collection at the Coda Museum in the Netherlands, and another museum there that I'm not even gonna try to pronounce, because I definitely cannot do it justice. So yeah, Mallory's here today to discuss her international relations with us, so please welcome her. You know, it's like post-Christmas before the new year. Oh, yeah. We deserve it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's Wednesday. Whatever. <laughs> um, so I'm here with Mallory Weston. Hi, Mallory. Hey, Sarah. Hey. And we're in Philadelphia. And Mallory is my studio mate, which is pretty fantastic. I mean, I'm your studio mate, actually. You invited me into the studio. You were no. there first. So It's all relative it's a it's <laughs> a something. it's a collective yeah yeah so Mallory is and I are part of the JV collective here in Philadelphia which is pretty great and you're from 
Are you from Philadelphia? No, I'm from New Jersey. Oh, you're from Jersey. Yes. Yes. I love moving to Philadelphia and the whole like Jersey, Philly. Everyone is from New Jersey. Yeah, it kind of is, right? And yep. there's like a lot of Jersey people in New York too. And mm-hmm. there's all We're the- We're everywhere. Um, you yeah. can't escape us. All the generalizations. <laughs> oh, yes. Everybody's like, oh, it's just like Jersey Shore, the MTV show. And you're like, <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Well, before Jersey Shore came out, it was like um, whenever you told somebody you were from New Jersey, they'd be like, oh, <laughs> Jersey and then yeah I don't know it's still an inside joke I mean I still make that I make that joke and I'm from Iowa I don't know better (laughs) I resent that I love New Jersey (laughs) I just actually I went into the Jersey Shore last week for my first time I went I played pinball it's not so bad stayed in a hotel (laughs) ate a lot of good food I mean there was literally no one on the shore I had a little photo shoot I was like this is the type of beach I like yeah completely bare besides me um, so it's ridiculous, but okay. So you're, you're not from Philly, but did you go to school in Philly? Like, how did you get to Philly? Yes. Uh, so I grew up in New Jersey and, um, I went to the university of the arts for my undergrad degree from 2005 to 2009. And oh. I graduated with a BFA in crafts with a focus in jewelry and metalsmithing. So that's my, how I ended up in Philly the first time. Um, So you went to school. Did you sign up for the UArts? Did you sign up as a jewelry and metals? I did not. Uh, My intention was to come to UArts to study glass. Really? Yeah. And one of the reasons why I decided to come to UArts was because it was one of the only schools that I could find on the East Coast that had some sort of glass program. So I um, got accepted there and I was just like, all right, cool, I'm going to UArts, this will be fine. And then, so I went through the whole like foundation studies program and um, when you got to your sophomore year, you could take, uh, you could move into your major. So I took Mm -hmm. glass blowing and glass wasn't a complete major. So you had to do some other craft form. Oh, okay. So um, I had done, you know, ceramics and fibers and um, all like a few of the dabbled in other craft fields up until that point. So I was like, I never took jewelry and metals. I should just try that out and see how it feels. And (laughs) so I enrolled in a jewelry and metals class with Sharon Church um, and a metalsmithing class with Brian Weissman and as well as my glass blowing class. And I think... Uh, like the first glass class I took, I was just like, this is not for me. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny because that's um, how I felt the first yeah. time I took glass <laughs> Um, It's just, I mean, it's completely different. You know, it's, uh, you work with a partner, which I'm not against. I, I can work well with others, but yeah. um, they depend on you to not mess up their pieces and it's really hot and it's really stressful. Um. It's so instant. Yeah. You know, like there's no time to slowly approach perfection as I like to think of it with metalsmithing. Yep. Like with glass, it's like you have, the learning curve is huge. Absolutely. Yeah. So I did not, I did not vibe well with that at all. Um, But my first jewelry and metals classes, it was, you know, kismet and like 
you realized immediately that this is where you want to be and what you want to do. And it kind of made sense because I had been making jewelry up until that point in like an amateur uh, fashion for a little while. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, okay, just going to be a jewelry major now. Wait, so what do you mean by that? Did you, because I know people can take jewelry and metalsmithing in high school. I've heard of that. Yes. I'm always jealous of that. So was that (laughs) where you got your start? No, no. um, I have been making jewelry in some form or another since I was maybe in seventh grade, I think. Um, I started out with very humble beginnings. I was babysitting a girl and she wanted to learn how to make hemp necklaces and didn't know how. So the hemp necklaces. Yes. (laughs) Yep. Um, so I just like quickly skimmed over the instructions and was like, oh, okay, this is how you do it. And, uh, taught her to how to make it. We made hemp necklaces that day. And then I was kind of hooked afterwards. I went, um, to the store and bought a ball of hemp. And I think by the end of the summer, I had made something like 200 hemp necklaces. (laughs) I'd just make them compulsively. I had hundreds, maybe like thousands. I'm not quite sure. (laughs) But um, I would sell them on the boardwalk of the Jersey Shore um, for summers. This Uh, is so glorious. I have no idea about this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I won an award when I was in high school, an Amazing Kids in Business Award for my hemp necklace business. called funky hemp (laughs) okay well like hold on did you have the glass beads like the mushroom or like you look into it and it's like a yin yang or anything like that oh yeah yeah okay of course um well I actually got into glass because I was like oh I like beads so much um I should try making my own beads so I did a little like very little bit of lamp working Um, And when I was a senior in high school, I like scrimped and saved all of my money for probably a year and a half um, to purchase a glass kiln and uh, glass fusing supplies. Whoa. So, um, yeah, I did that before I even got to college. So I thought I wanted to do that, but (laughs) I didn't. I decided to do other jewelry and metals endeavors. But didn't you also, I mean, I remember you telling me you worked at a bead shop as <laughs> yes, well. Yeah. So that played into it too. Um, that definitely did play into it. So I, I uh, got into hemp and making hemp jewelry and macrame jewelry. And then when I was, um, I think, a senior in high school, I worked in this small town near my parents' house and um, I worked a li- at a library. And then I heard one day through the grapevine of a small town that there was going to be a bead shop opening um, downtown. I was like, oh my God, I have to get a job (laughs) there. And so I think my mom, it was when my mom was still driving me to work. So he would like drive past the bead shop that wasn't even open yet. And then one day, um, finally we saw like a car in the back and we went up and like knocked on the window because my mom is like very persistent and outgoing. And, um, the contractor was inside and he was like oh um you know the the owner is like planning on opening soon like I can give her your number and then she called me uh a few weeks later and uh, offered me the job which I was very excited about and she opened on Black Friday um which is crazy in my opinion but it was pretty awesome because my dream was to just 
count beads and organize beads pretty much up until that point. Um, so that's exactly what I was doing. Um, but yeah, that was a really amazing job. Um, How old were you? I was, I worked there from when I was, I guess, 18 um, up until graduating from UArts. Um, uh. It was pretty amazing. The boss, um, my boss, Linda, was really great. She would just let me come back during Christmas break, Easter break, summer vacation. Mm-hmm all throughout college so it was a really great job just to have throughout that and um so that also really um kind of I guess uh helped me on my path you know like I started with the macrame then I learned all of these bead weaving skills I taught classes there which was really amazing um so I guess that was my first teaching my my first teaching moments which was pretty crazy because it was like a 19 year old girl teaching middle-aged moms and such so (laughs) yeah not to to generalize not to generalize uh, but um there's nothing wrong with middle-aged moms at all but it it was just a strange um change and i don't know yeah a switch in the power dynamic or something i wasn't used to doing that but well, there was a bead shop in Seattle, and there is this girl there that worked there, um, Elizabeth. That's her name? Yes. And she, I just thought she was the coolest, and I really wanted a job there. And <laughs> they never had an opening, and I never, ever got a job there. But I was like, oh, her name was Beth. Yeah. She, um, and I just like, you're the cool girl at the bead shop, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, make it, wearing, like, the really sick uh, hemp necklaces. Yeah. <laughs> like layered ones too i'm sure (laughs) cool yep um and so did you mention that brian weissman taught you at uarts yeah is that the dude from brooklyn Brooklyn metalworks yep oh cool Mm -hmm. and so so sharon church she's retired yes yeah and caroline gore took her place at uarts Mm -hmm. okay yep were you one of sharon's last students like how long Uh, was she there past she you? She went for like a good maybe like five because she was still teaching when I started teaching there as an adjunct professor. Oh, wow. And um, I think I was there for her last semester in mm. 2014. Okay. Spring of 2014. Okay. Um, so I graduated in 2009 and I think she was there up until that point. Um, so it was her and Rod McCormick. Um, he was the other professor there. He's still teaching there. And, um, you know, various other adjunct professors that have come and gone. So, yeah. And so when you graduate, what did you do? After I graduated from UArts, I moved into an attic in New Brunswick for two months. <laughs> okay. And then I moved to New York City or to Brooklyn. <laughs> um and and just kind of I, I was trying to, you know, slowly build up my studio mm-hmm. um, after graduation. You and I, I, I took that um, kind of the money that your relatives give you. And I bought um, my first jeweler's bench and yeah. um, I had been slowly collecting uh, hand tools and such up until that point. So I had at least enough to do basic soldering and um you know, bench work with 
my own equipment. Um, but in Brooklyn, yeah, were, were you in like in your kitchen or what? Because uh, well, I lived in a nuts. really like bonkers, uh, I guess, warehouse space with okay. you know eight people, and it was a show space, so they had uh, like punk shows in yes. the living room, <laughs> and um, I Places pretty much after my heart, yeah, exactly. Uh, I had a torch in there, and I definitely was a huge fire hazard, probably. Um, but it worked well for the time mm-hmm. um, and was, I think, kind of steadily making new pieces. Um, did you have a job, though? Like, what did you move to Brooklyn for? I I just wanted to move there to kind of do something new yeah. and go to some place that I'd never lived before. Um, but during that time, I was the shoe girl at a bowling alley. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yes. Um. So, you just gotta do what you gotta do. To... You just literally all you did was check in shoes. Did you have to polish them? Or... Well, you have to spray the disinfectant mm, in them. Yep, I've seen that happen before. You also have to endure the same jokes being told to you over and over again as well. Yep, like, I'm sure. Um, you know, jokes about shoe sizes and such, and like smelly feet. Yeah, totally. Yep. Oh God, weird. So you're living at a warehouse space, making jewelry, spraying shoes. (laughs) (laughs) Where do you go from there? Uh, Well, I was having a really great time living in New York, kind of doing doing the like fun party thing, I suppose. Yeah, staying out Um, all night, getting too drunk, doing all the things. Yeah, exactly. Um, But I had always had the... Uh, you know, I had the goal in my mind that I wanted to go to graduate school. So um, I guess after my first full year there, um, I applied to RISD, Rhode Island School of Design. Um, Mm -hmm. And I guess I was having so much fun that I was just like, okay, I'll apply to one place. And if I get in, then I'll go there. And if I don't, then I'll just stay here. Um, but I got in and so I, um, and, and I knew that I wanted to be, I guess I, I had an idea of where I wanted to go and I really love Providence. Um, I wanted to be in like some sort of smaller city versus, um, a rural environment. Um, I also knew I wanted to stay on the East coast. Um, I didn't want to move all the way across the country. I just didn't know if I could do that at the moment. Um, so Providence definitely kind of won me over. So, I mean, you would say that you kind of chose RISD on location (laughs) (laughs) versus because RISD has quite the reputation. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm sure that helped as well. Well, I I remember going to look there before um, for undergrad and really Mm -hmm. loving it when I went to go check it out then. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's a very expensive school. So, when I got accepted to UArts, I was like, okay, like, this is more reasonable. Yeah. It's, you know, it's closer to home. I really like RISD, but, like, this is a good second choice. And they're offering me some, you know, like, scholarship money to go to UArts. And um, this just makes more sense. So I decided to go to there. Uh, or I decided to go to UArts. And um, so I kind of remembered all of that when I was applying to graduate schools that yeah, good feeling that I got when I went up to Providence and visited RISD. So for undergrad, were you on your own to pay for it? So um, I was lucky enough to have my parents pay for it. 
Um, yeah. My parents are, you know, like pretty stable middle class yeah. um, citizens. So um, they were willing to pay for my undergraduate degree, which I'm like immensely grateful for. Yeah. Um, so I was lucky enough to have them pay for that. Um, but they were not willing to pay for my graduate education, which I completely understand. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Like, hey, yeah. mom and dad, you did me a solid. I'm going to take care of this on my own. Yep. Yeah. So then, we, so then you get into RISD and you leave your Brooklyn warehouse space. Yep. Um, how was RISD? It was pretty great. I'm, I'm a pretty independent maker, I think. So um, I really, it was just very important for me to have some place where I could go and devote my like 100% of my time and attention to making jewelry. Um, And I think that that's kind of half of the reason why I wanted to go to graduate school was just because it kind of gives you an excuse to be a student and to not have to um, pay bills. Yeah. (laughs) Just put it off for a little while. I mean, I do all, I think about that a lot because especially with, you know, there's so much talk about student loan debt and all that. It's like, so why do people in their minds, like, what is their thought process with RISD? Like, what's the long game? Like, what's your long-term goal going into it? I mean, I am not going to lie. Uh, you know, when I got into the school, I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Like, I'm definitely yeah. going to go. This will be great. And then um, a month or two later, when I really started thinking about all of the logistics of it, you know, you just Google, like, what's the cost of attending RISD yeah. for a year? And you look at that number uh, and you're like, oh, shit. Have we even said, did we say the full name of it, Rhode Island School of Design? I think I might have mentioned it, but okay, it's good, good to I, say it again. I, I forget, like, when you're in, like, bubbles, like, some people don't even know what RISD is. Like, yeah. they don't, you know. So I went to Rhode Island School of Design, if I have not been clear. <laughs> in Providence. Yes. Rhode Island. Um, but yeah, you look at that number uh, of how much it costs to attend the school, yeah. and I definitely had, like, a... Panic attack? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I had to, like... I think I probably wrote to, you know, the people in my life that had been the most influential to me up until that point and have been like oh man you know I really want to go to graduate school but like this is so expensive should I actually do this what do you think and kind of everybody seemed to be very supportive and ultimately you know I decided to go and I don't regret that decision because it's led to a lot of great things and I think that my work really um kind of was able to transition to the next level I I couldn't envision myself making the work that I am today if I didn't go to graduate school yeah um so yeah I think it was worth it I got to meet like some of my best friends and some amazing artists and people through that experience so yeah good so uh how'd you pay for that expensive uh wait is RISD two years or three years two years okay yeah well uh, good and uh (laughs) how'd you pay for that how did I pay for that okay so um this is sort of a long story (laughs) a little bit of a a glass of champagne I'm fine exactly um so flash flashback to um my bead, bead shop job um when I was in high school but the 
owner of the bead shop was this really amazing woman named Linda. Um, and she was, you know, an older woman, um, kind of like my parents' age, like 65, 66 years old. And, um, you know, um, kind of didn't have uh, any children and she was a widower and, um, you know, kind of she took on like a role of being almost like a family member to me. She was definitely a mentor because she had like uh, artistic tendencies that she was really never able to pursue because um, her parents wanted her to major in business. So um, I guess she saw like me and my coworkers and stuff in high school who wanted to go to school to be artists. And so yeah. she was always really supportive of that. And um, like I said, I got to work with her all throughout undergrad and even um, kind of as I was finding my way um trying to decide if I wanted to move to New York and stuff like that. Um, Mm -hmm. So she was a huge part of my part of my life. And I would always kind of go back to um, my hometown and visit with her. Uh, And when I was in my second year uh, at RISD, um, I went back home to visit and it was it was right before Christmas, and I went in, and um, I had heard heard that uh, when I talked to the other worker there that she was really sick and she had cancer, um, and but she actually, hadn't told you. But she had, didn't told. Yeah, she didn't tell me. Um, mm. I think it was only probably like a month or two that she had gotten diagnosed with it, but yeah. um, actually that that night um that I had heard that she was sick um I got home and I was hanging out with my boyfriend at the time and um I got home and my my whole family was really close with her uh because she knew my grandmother and then just through working with her she um was close to my mother and my aunts and stuff they'd always go in and be friendly with with her and invite her to family functions and stuff like that but um yeah the night that I or the day that I learned that she was sick she passed away unfortunately um and it was yeah it it really sucked she really really meant a lot to me um but you know uh I found out a few months later that she had left me uh money in her will essentially to pay for my graduate school experience um and you know this isn't a story that I tell very many people just because it's such a hard thing to like explain adequately through a story when you're just kind of like casual with somebody yeah um so it's like how'd you pay for school yeah well (laughs) this woman (laughs) exactly yeah um so and it was kind of pretty much just enough to pay for what I owed for my two years of schooling. So um, wow. that's exactly what I used it for. Uh, and I had no idea that this was going to be bestowed upon me or given to me, gifted to me um, before yeah. I started school. Um, but, you know, I... I I was really upset 
I guess, after the whole thing that I didn't know that she was sick and she didn't tell me. That happens um, a lot. Yeah. People get sick and if they know they're terminal, they don't want to tell the people. I mean, them. she was a very independent woman, um, like very proud, you know. Yeah, definitely a very independent woman. And she didn't like to like people seeing her suffering weakness. or, yeah. you know, seeing, yeah, seeing weakness. Exactly. Um, so it makes perfect sense in retrospect, but when you're kind of grieving like that, it doesn't make as much sense. Yeah. You're like, why didn't you tell me I wanted yeah, to be there for you? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I guess it meant a lot that she was thinking of me. Um, and even if, I don't know, it's a very complicated thing because you obviously met a lot to her. <laughs> yeah. I love, I love like you telling me this right now and I can just <laughs> sense this like, oh, they must think I'm a jerk like this woman. But I, yeah, no, it's really complicated because I, I don't want to say like, you know, it. Like I could tell she meant a, like I meant a lot to her because she left this to me because but it's so she also funny, meant but, a lot to you. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Um, that is how I paid for graduate school in a nutshell. Um, and it's. I don't know. I it's it's been I actually re- realized this the other day. It's been like the 5 year anniversary of when she passed away and I'm just like I think about her all the time and yeah. think about the gift that she gave me and it's incredible. Yeah, it's it's really meaningful <laughs> to me. <laughs> you used it really well. Yeah. So, I think that she would be proud of me. Oh my god, she would be super proud. I mean, yeah, no. A lot of people get money inherited all the time and they use it for far less <laughs> amazing things, you know? Yeah. Grad school is a pretty cool thing to use it for. It is. And I feel like I, yeah, I think that she would be proud of me. Oh my gosh. And like was... try not to ah, get, get it together. <laughs> I mean, if it makes you feel any better, the microphones that you're talking into and this cool, all this cool equipment <laughs> is because my grandfather died yeah. and left me money that I didn't expect. And it's... I think it's something that a lot of people don't like to talk about, but um, it happens a lot. You yeah. Know? And I know that it's definitely a very privileged position. And I think that's also why I feel kind of strange talking about it because I know so many other talented artists that are not in my position. Yeah. Um, so. And that's fair. Yeah. And that's great it's good to think about it in that regard too but also don't feel guilty for what you were given because yeah you obviously meant the world to her and she wanted to do that for you (laughs) used it well yeah I, i think the only thing i can do and the only way that i can honor that is by trying to like work as hard as i can and um you know achieve the things that i set out to achieve in the beginning so well from my perspective you're doing pretty well (laughs) thank you um so I mean and that's a big part of why I wanted to bring you on here you're somebody that I even before I met you and got to call you a friend which I'm very excited about or like a studio mate which I never thought would happen um you're just somebody I really respect within the field and an aspect about you and your career and what you've done so far. First of all, I was like, oh, she's only how old? Oh, okay. <laughs> and then the second thing was you have really, you've gone beyond the Society of North American Goldsmiths. You've gone beyond like the U.S. Like you have really reached out to 
the international um, jewelry community, uh, contemporary jewelry community. And that is something that is such a mystery to me. <laughs> I think there was something where I was definitely, my friend Lauren turned me on to you and I was lurking you. And I think it was around the time that you went to Zimmerhof and I was like, who is this young girl <laughs> making contemporary jewelry speaking at a symposium in Zurich? Is that where it was? Uh, it was in um, a very small German town, like an hour and a half outside of Frankfurt, Germany. Oh, I think. exactly. Like, how the hell does that happen? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay, great. Sorry. This, <laughs> this is really going to be very informative. No. Um, but that is why I wanted to talk to you today. It's like your, your international <laughs> relations, so to speak, like... I know when you pay for things like RISD, how expensive it is. Yeah. And I know grad school, uh, uh, for me, if I was to ever do that, which I'd have to get an undergrad degree, but first, so like probably <laughs> not going to happen. Um, a big part of it was it'd be the way that that academic institution could help connect you, connect you to the international community, which I think is huge. Yeah. Like getting outside of your own small community and seeing the bigger picture. So... For you, um, when did you first exhibit internationally or like even think about doing that? Was that undergrad? Did they talk to you about it then or? Well, um, I remember actually, I so I think I was uh, either a junior or a senior at UArts um, reading a review for this book in uh, Metalsmith magazine called oh, uh, yeah <laughs> called the fat booty of madness oh my god that's amazing really yeah but it's um it was the anthology of um student and faculty work from the Munich Academy of Fine Arts okay and I saw the cover and I read the review and I was like I need to order this right now um because you know, I can never afford to buy work from jewelers or anything yeah. like that. But books is kind of my weakness. And I'm always kind of willing to spend my money on books. Um, so I ordered that and I, you know, was flipping through all of the pages and everything and just seeing this incredible work. Um, like my classmates and I would be like, oh, my God this is incredible and a um, part of that is too is like I feel like the European aesthetic is so different from yeah. what we know right like anything is different right I mean I, yeah it's it's so different but I, I think I just wanted to learn everything about this yeah. field that I am so passionate about um, because I, I don't want to to seem like I'm not interested in what's happening in America. Oh, of course not. No, 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 no. It's just the, you know, the grass is always greener. It's like, yeah. yes, I love everything that's happening here, but what's happening over there? Yeah. Yeah. I guess it was just so exciting and like innovative to me. So I, I got that and um, that was something that I had never really even thought about until mm-hmm. I had read the book. And um, when I was a senior three classmates and I uh, had the idea to go to Schmuck. Um, in UArts? Yeah. You went to Schmuck your <laughs> senior year? Yeah. So what, what What year was that? Like 2000... 2009. Dang. Yeah. So that was the first time that I had ever been to Germany before. Um, but my, I think my classmate, Caitlin Kerr, uh, 
I think she was like, oh, yeah, it's actually really cheap to go to Germany at this time of year. And it lines up perfectly with our spring break. Like, let's do it. Um, so it was kind of a spur of the moment thing. What did like, Sharon Church, Church say about this? Like, I think did she, you tell she your was, professors? Yeah, and yeah. Like, yeah. Um, she was very enthusiastic. Like, I, I'm sure she was of very course. supportive about uh, of it. But um, yeah, we, we went to, I, it, there wasn't like a Munich jewelry week at that point. It was like schmuck week or whatever. Oh. Um, and we had no idea what we were doing. We um, were looking at the Klimt schedule and like trying to figure out when things were opening or when things were happening. Mm. But really, we were just kind of like bumbling around the city. Oh my God, I <laughs> um, love it. But I can, yeah, there was a... Um, uh, I remember two of my friends had to leave a little bit earlier and um, me and my friend Allie were still there and we had gone to Hauptbrauhof or Haupt, uh, yeah, uh, Hofbrau House. Yeah. The, Is that the, the big beer hall? The, yeah, the big yeah. beer hall. <laughs> I've been there, hall. right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think. Well, I mean, if it's the one that Munich Jewelry Week does where it's like 500 jewelers crammed in this giant hall i think it's a different one okay yeah but similar yeah yeah exactly it's it's the same type of thing but we we it was our last night and we were okay let's just go to the beer hall and like see what happens um and i think we were standing outside um smoking a cigarette and these girls came up to us and we're like do you know where the jewelry party is we're here for like jewelry week and we're oh my god we're here for jewelry week and because we had no idea that it was a huge thing and we were just so excited that we met people that were here for the same thing and we ended up just tagging along with these girls and going to like the munich academy party and like staying up for most of the night like partying with a bunch of what country were they from i can't remember yeah, but they weren't um, Americans. No, no, they weren't no, Americans. Probably. I think they um, were from maybe the UK. Okay. But um, yeah, I can't remember their names, but it was just like... Fun. It was an, It was amazing. It sounds yeah. amazing. <laughs> so that was my first Munich Jewelry Week experience. Wow. Way um, to be self-directed. Yeah. Uh, and then I I didn't really... I, I really kind of... I wanted to try to go to graduate school in Europe but it's like such Mm. a it's such a veiled like cryptic mysterious process to me that I couldn't quite figure out how to do it um when I and when I actually inherited that money from my grandpa (laughs) the first thing I thought was go to school in Europe yeah and I researched it for a while and it's hard yeah I, I I couldn't quite get get my act together for that but yeah um you know I love to travel so it's always been something that's been in the on back of your mind yeah been in the back of my mind and been something that I wanted to do so um luckily like through RISD I had some experiences to go um to go overseas we did a, a travel class when I was in my second year um, is to, that the first time you like exhibited work over there then, would you say? Uh, I don't know if it's the first time. Um, I'm trying to find the first time. Like, I just yeah. don't even understand how people get involved. I'm like, did you just like cold call a gallery? And like, how do you do that? Well, I remember um, when I was at UArts, uh, we had a visiting artist come that was actually Melanie Belenker. <gasps> 
and oh, she, I know that name. Yeah, she gave a artist presentation and was kind of tailoring it to you know young artists. And yeah. she said, um, I think maybe Sharon prompted her and was like, "So what would you like? What's the advice you'd give to like young artists that are trying to make it in this field?" And she said, "You know, just apply to everything that you can." <laughs> That's good advice. Because you never know when you're going to get in. Um, and I was actually talking about this with her the other day because... Because she's our studio yeah, mate. because yes. she's our studio mate. And I <laughs> Which don't... is also very bizarre to me that I get to be studio mates with her. And I, I don't think her. she realized like realizes how much she's impacted my <laughs> career trajectory with just that like little nugget of advice. Um, so I was like, oh, yeah, I, I remember you saying this. And I actually tried to do it as much as I could. Um but yeah, she she said that. So um, that's kind of been my approach to to trying to get everything that I can or, or trying to exhibit in, in all the places that I can. Okay. Um, so, you know, I try to find um, like all throughout when I was living in Brooklyn, when I was at RISD, I tried to find um, the calls for entries that were posted online and um, I know that it's a lot because if you add them all up, the entry fees and things like that can become easily unaffordable. But yeah. I, you know, pick and choose maybe the ones that my work fit best within and um, apply to those. And sometimes I'd get in, sometimes I wouldn't get in. Do you? Would you say that you focus like? Would you consciously look for international calls? I tried to. They were they're harder to find. Um, yeah, they are hard to find. Yeah. Where do you find those at? I think the... F- so to get back to your actual question, I think yeah. the very first one that I ever exhibited in was the Suspended in Green exhibition mm-hmm. or Suspended in Pink exhibition. Um, they put out actual calls for entry for those. So it was um, easier for me to find and apply to online. Um, yeah. And I usually, you know, I look at like the snag springboard i look at klimt um see i always forget about klimt <laughs> it's um was it it's klimt right? yeah klimto too i think is that a thing <laughs> yeah is it kind of like the european snag like what is klimt i mean they have i feel like they have more european and just international postings on there yeah um it's not maybe as comprehensive as other websites and I'm sure I'm missing I know that there's a UK craft council website okay which I don't check really at all yeah I don't even think I've seen it yeah Um, but I know that they have a website and I know that they have calls for entries on it so and if you're listening (laughs) you're like what is the word she's saying it's k-l-i-m-t and is it 2.0 no zero two zero two yeah okay and that is, I look at it when I, the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, it's like the European art jewelry forum. <laughs> like, I didn't yeah. know how to even like pigeonhole it really. Well, they have artists on it. They have galleries post on it with their exhibitions. Um, they also have uh, postings for things like workshops, calls for entries, prizes, things like that. So yeah. Bookmark it, people. Yeah. You should be looking yeah, at it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Even though I don't do that yet. Like, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I think about it, but I forget about it. I I have to bookmark it. I'll do that now. Every time I think about it, I uh, go online and check it and see if anything's been posted. You're really good. I mean, we share a studio now, and the thing I love about Mallory is above her bench, she just has this white piece of paper, 
and a list of deadlines. <laughs> and you're actually really great. I really like this about you. And this is something I'll say for all of JV Collective is that it doesn't feel competitive ever. Because I'll walk in and you'll be like, oh, there's this call for entry. Yeah. You just talk about it and you're like, hey, you guys, like, there's this call. You guys should think about it. And you have them just, I love that they're right in front of your bench. Like, I don't know. I think it's important to share, uh, share that information with your classmates or your friends or your studio mates. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It just doesn't feel right to kind of squirrel it away and... It's not like you're going to have any better chance there. They're going to yeah. like your work or not. So why not tell people around you? I don't you? know. I, yeah, I, th- I think it's... I, I want to promote the people that I'm affiliated with, you know? Yeah, and no. I want them to know about these things. So I try it's to share them as much as possible. I really like that about you. <laughs> That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. I appreciate Good. it a lot. So there's Klimt. And so... the. What was the name of the expedition? Something green, pink? Uh, suspended in green and suspended in pink. What country um, was it in? They So they were traveling exhibitions, both of them. I think they had one that was, I think the first one was suspended in pink. Yeah. Did the work have to be pink? Yes. Okay. Just you can see the unifying theme. <laughs> going here. out on a yeah. limb here. Um, so it was a traveling exhibition, and I think that it was at... It was in the UK at, um, I don't know what the university's name was. Royal I think College of Art? Like it wasn't like there. That? It was in okay. Birmingham. I've never been to the UK. I have um, no idea. I'm probably, I'm sorry for all the UK listeners. <laughs> and listening, European we're listeners. sorry. <laughs> um, I'm just massacring like all <laughs> of the pronunciation. Um, but yeah, it was like the... Uh, the thing a thing. It was in Birmingham. Birmingham. Okay. Birmingham. Good enough. Yes. <laughs> so it was there first. And then I think it traveled to Studio Gabby, Gabby Green, Studio Gabby Green in Munich for Munich Jewelry Week. I've heard about that. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then I think it might have gone to one more place after that. That's like getting three birds stoned at yeah. once. That's yeah. cool. Um, so I think that that may have been the first time that I have had ever exhibited internationally. Were you like freaking out? You're like, I'm going. To I was it. pretty excited. Yeah. You get to you get to add that line on the end of your bio, which yep. is like has exhibited nationally and internationally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is nice. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about that because, okay, so when you exhibit internationally, you get into the show, right? You have to get that work over that ocean yeah yeah and you don't ever think about that you're just worried about actually getting it into the show first yeah you're just like real excited to get in and then you're like oh right hmm what's the fine print say so did you pay for shipping to get the work there yes yeah please Um, tell me they ship the work back to you on their dime i can't it was a little while ago so i can't quite remember i know they printed a catalog and they gave you a catalog that's nice Um, that's expensive so i think suspended in pink was the first one and then the next year they had a suspended in green so they Mm -hmm. switched their colors up a little bit and for that one they um invited the accepted artists to also um create small editions of work so you can make uh, you had your gallery pieces and then you could have like um, six or seven smaller, um, you know, more affordable pieces that they would also exhibit and, you yeah. know, hopefully sell. 
Um, so with that one, it was great because they had actually, you know, they, I think probably, I think they sold all of the pieces that to I had To help you along. kind of recoup your yeah, costs. Yeah. That's smart. I think that's um, a really nice format. Yeah, exactly. So I can't quite remember if I had to pay for shipping back. Um, but I know they printed the catalog and I know that they, um, kind of threw on the gal, like gallery versus, um, uh, like studio pieces or whatever yeah. that, that were shown in the second one. So that's, you know, something that you definitely have to think about um, going into it, which I never yeah. really quite consider ahead of time. Yeah. Um, but. <laughs> and also, I mean, shipping work internationally. Uh, what happens at customs? Like, I don't even know. <laughs> I, I went to Munich Jewelry Week. That's the first yeah. time I like really met you. And I remember going to a talk that the magazine Current Obsession, by the way, con- Contemporary Jewelers, if you don't know what it is, look it up. It's amazing. They're fantastic. And they kind of crafted what Munich Jewelry Week is now. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, th- there was um like, I guess, Schmuck Week or Jewelry Week that was yeah. happening um for years before... I guess it was even ex- Munich Jewelry Week proper, but I think that current obs- uh, current obsession recognized that there was a need for um, maybe just like a database of all of the events that were happening, and, and so and furthermore a home base, yeah. which they gave it yeah. at this coffee shop, yeah. <laughs> and so I go there because there was these talks every morning, and my roommate for the week, Aaron Galligan, <laughs> drags me out of bed to get there at nine a.m. And there's this boy, Stephen Gordon Holman, <laughs> talking about exhibiting work and this other woman talking about getting work into the country in your luggage and how to get it passed. <laughs> yeah. And saying that they're Christmas ornaments <laughs> to get around, I don't know, duty taxes or something like that. So I've always been told by uh, either gallerists or just have had the like innate uh instinct to um, <laughs> put down that things are commercial samples on the customs form. Oh. And okay. that's uh, to never list the value as more than like $50 for things. I mean, really, if you take away uh I hope nobody labor. from like European customs is listening right now because yeah, just... the jig is up if that's the case. But um, I mean, it, you know, it's... I. It's a very risky game. Um, I mean, I would not recommend that if I was, you know, if you're an artist that's doing anything out of precious metals, I yeah. I would probably go the, uh, you know, state state sanctioned route and declare it on customs just because at least if something happens, which I know I've heard you know, stories in the past of things happening that you are covered um, yeah. legally. But, uh, you know, the intrinsic value of most of my work is not, it's not really made from precious metals. You know, it has a lot of labor that goes into it, but yeah. um, it's not. You're not working in gold Yeah, and not working in gold and silver and, um, you know, other precious metals. So it's not. Mm. Uh, I guess people couldn't open the box and take it to the pawn shop and melt it down really. So, okay. Yeah. That's good to know. I mean, well, (laughs) so we're going to be exhibiting 
internationally yes. together. I'm so excited. <laughs> this is my first time, which is, <gasps> I know, it's a big deal to me. It's on my five-year plan. I have this yeah. five-year plan, and every time I reach a goal, I re-up it. So oh. it's been a big thing for me for a long time, and I'm very excited. And I don't, I don't know, like, I guess I envision myself taking my pieces, which I envision to be three big necklaces. Yeah. And putting them on my carry-on. Because I feel like that's safer. Like, it's with me. Yeah. And then, but then you have to get through, you know, security. I have done this... So do you put in your so many times? Yeah, what do you do? I've brought the weirdest stuff on airplanes before. Um... I always bring it in my carry-on luggage just in case, like, the luggage um, that's checked gets separated. And, you know, luckily, we're jewelers, which is probably, like, half of the reason why I became yeah. a jeweler to begin with is because <laughs> yeah. everything is so portable. And I look at my glass-blowing like and ceramic artist friends, and I'm just like, I don't know how you do yeah. it. I don't need a pickup truck. Yeah. All I need is a carry-on suitcase and I can pretty much fit like an entire body work in it. Yeah. So um this is not going to be of any help to anybody that makes large-scale sculptural objects or woodworking stuff. But yeah, I I pack it all really nice, put it in a carry-on suitcase. Mm-hmm. Um which so I'm going to do that. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I uh I've made some pretty wacky things in the past and I've never had any problems taking it through security I've never had any problems with pinbacks um yeah they're like if this is a weapon like the cactus piece have you ever she has this like bulbous (laughs) cactus piece that's just like trying to injure you yep how does that get through security It's, it's gotten through no no um I I've I actually have a photograph of one of my pieces of luggage being scanned with one of the like uh luggage scanners you know where it yeah, kind of yeah, turns yeah, it yeah. into an x-ray I just I just was on a plane yesterday I yeah, love watching that it's so great um but it it's it's kind of the best picture because you actually see the cactus in the piece of luggage <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's amazing yeah um, um can we have that picture for the podcast yeah I'll send put that on the website <laughs> for <Yeah>. sure <laughs> um so it's always really funny whenever my pieces go through security because it'll be like a metal rabbit um <laughs> that's going through or like a cactus or a rain cloud or something like that um yeah. but I've yeah I I've had to take stuff out at security and just kind of be like oh this is a piece of jewelry but um yeah never had any problems i mean they're none the wiser yeah you're like oh this is my own personal items like how are they gonna know canada would know though (laughs) gotta say canada is tricky yeah i would go up there in a van full of dudes and we'd specifically separate for shows like half the band would go in this car five hours ahead of time and they and we'd get pulled aside in a room and the other half of the band would be there. They're like, we looked on Facebook. And then they would ask you if you were the groupie and you'd be like, oh, God, son of a bitch. You no, idiots. I'm not a groupie. Yeah. Oh, merch girl. Get it right. <laughs> um, well, OK, so. All right. So customs. Yeah. I get the point. I'm going to put in my carry on. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just going to roll the dice. It's three necklaces. Yep. I'm going to get that. Uh Things I wanted to talk about, which we haven't touched on yet, 
gallery representation over in Europe. Yeah. So you are, I mean, you had a, it wasn't a solo show. Uh, well, it was like a two person show. I think it was yeah. like technically a, um, we each had a solo show, but it was at the same time. Well, whatever, girls, Dual more than I've ever show. had. So good. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. What gallery was that at? It was at uh, pl- uh, Plotina, Platina. I, How do you say that? I don't know. You've literally been Platina. in. You've literally been in the gallery, and you can't say it still. I say Platina. I've never heard anybody say Platina, but like I'm from Oklahoma, so we say everything the worst way possible. Yeah, Platina. <laughs> um, how did that happen? Um, so I guess it was just uh, Sophia Bjorkman emailed me. And okay, that's how it happened. So, but I mean, yeah. I feel like there's other there's things that lead up to things, right? Yeah. Like you're going to Munich Jewelry Week, you're an undergrad and you go there just to explore what it is. Yeah. So right away off the cuff, like you have an idea of what's happening over there. Yeah. And then you consistently keep going. Yeah. You apply for shows in Europe. You get into those shows. Um, you keep making work. You keep applying. I think it adds up. Yeah. Where you just keep scratching at the door and then if people start recognizing you yeah. or paying attention to you and then it pays off eventually. Like um, Sophia didn't just find your Instagram account. Well, um, I guess. did she? Uh, well, so when I uh, graduated from RISD, they, there's a show called the International, International Graduate Exhibition or Graduate Show at Gallery Marseille. Okay, I've in, heard about that because Cranbrook does that, yeah, right? Okay. Um, I think that they have a few U.S. Uh, jewelry schools submit work. Is um, SUNY as, New Pulse in it? Yes, I feel like they, yeah. they're on the like pulse of that yeah, too. Yeah, okay. I think um, SDSU, SUNY New Pulse, Cranbrook, RISD. Um, there might be one or two others um, in the U.S. right now that submit work um, a ton of european schools i know that there's a few schools in japan and china and um and asia that also send work maybe even australia but it's a very like international exhibition um so there's that that happens every year and um schools are just asked to submit work uh at the end of the semester and so um, some of my pieces were chosen, so I sent those to... So is it like the professors curate from their grad students whose work they want to yes, submit for? Yeah, it? and then the gallery has kind of the final say on what artists gets, get accepted into the exhibition. Oh, wow. Um, okay. But it's a really big show. I think it yeah. has something like 70 artists in it, maybe. Oh, so it's huge. Yes, yeah, okay. it's huge. Um not to like bring down the prestige of it at all. I mean, it's no, still no, a it's big like, deal. It's a really, it's it's kind of a great, just a good opportunity to see what the heck else is going on all over the world as far as like contemporary jewelry that's coming out of universities. Yeah, aesthetic and like trends. Yeah. I'm sure. You could see it in one exhibition. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so my work went to that, and they have a prize that they award to like five or six artists. Mm-hmm. Um, and I received that award, which was really great. What? I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. What was the award? It's well, it's um, I guess it's just like the International Graduate Exhibition Prize. Is it money? 
it's not money. Oh, come on. <laughs> They're the, grad students. Yeah. It's the prestige. Um, yeah. I, I suppose. But it's also, um, so I, I didn't actually get to do this, but I think they invite all of the prize, Marseille prize recipients to a, um, like a farm in Belgium. Are you making this? No, for like two (laughs) weeks. Um, And you can go. It's like a residency. Yeah, it's a residency. There we go. But it's in Belgium on a farm. Um, And, you know, you just make work. Do we know anybody who's been here? Uh, I can't say off the top of my head. I couldn't name anybody that even that you don't know maybe has gone. Oh, man. Friend of a friend. I yeah, I'm, I'm like blanking on all of it yeah, right now. Crazy. But, um, yeah, it's unfortunately it's not like a paid trip. You have to of pay course. your own way. Nice. Um, but you get room and board for the two weeks. I think you get fed. Um, well, that's not nothing, but yeah, not but enough. you know, it's it's it, it would be a different thing if I was like a Dutch student versus like a student in the U.S. because it's right. a way different thing to get to Belgium from Amsterdam than it is from yeah, it'd be like going from California to Texas exactly. versus yeah, yeah. I get that. Uh, so I I don't even I think I might have had a it might have been when I started teaching and I couldn't go because it was during the semester or something. Yeah. Um, I feel like if it was when I was free uh, or if it was like on an off off time, I probably would have been like, oh, I can't not go, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that's the farm in Belgium. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> I've seen You're like more idyllic. Jeez. I've tried to find um, like photographs of it online. And from what I can find, it just looks it's, Almost like Zimmerhof, where it's yeah. like sort of like a fairy tale, and you can't believe that it actually exists someplace. Can we get back to Zimmerhof? Because yeah. I brought it up beginning, but like, what is Zimmerhof? <laughs> it's just a symposium, right? Yes. Yeah. There's symposiums all the time. Yeah. But this one looks magical. It is magical. Okay. So, okay. Lay it on me. I mean, what bef- is the whole so, deal? So, um, the. Every year they have a different um, person or a different uh, group of people, organization, um, curate the programming. So when I went, um, Current Obsession, which we mentioned before, the magazine and platform was uh, in charge of organizing the programming. Okay. Um, So... I had done some work with them in the past, which I'm like so grateful for because I think that they're amazing women and I think that, that they're... just seems so cool. Yeah. Hey, current session. <laughs> Hi. Yeah, they're they're amazing. Marina, Sarah, Kelly, they're all so great. And um they had invited me to speak there. Um and I just kind of got an email out of the blue that was like, hey, we're organizing Schmuck Symposium Zimmerhof and we want you to speak and this is the topic. Um, do you think you can do it? And, and that's how that happens. Yeah, and um, you know, I I got that one day, and I was like, oh, this is really exciting. But it's in the German countryside um, over the summer, and you know, I live in Philadelphia. Well, in that email, well, first of all, keep your email updated on your website. <laughs> yes, y'all. exactly. This is important. I can't tell you how many emails I get random thinking it's spam and it's something really cool. Check your spam folder too. Oh my God, check your spam folder. <laughs> totally true. Yep. <laughs> um, 
And so in that email, did they say like, hey, we want you to do this and this and this and we're going to pay for your travel and you well, get paid? I, so I think they mentioned that in the uh, original email that me, they sent me. But I was like, yeah. wait, are they really, <laughs> really going to pay for this? my travel? Because it's like I was saying before, it's a lot different. Um, you know, paying for a plane ticket to fly from Amsterdam to Germany than it is to fly from Philadelphia to Germany. So it's yeah. it's the difference of like 700 euros, you know? It can double. I mean, I'm working on a symposium right now and it's true. Like yeah. you want to bring these amazing artists from Europe, but your travel budget per person is only so much and yeah. it doubles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I kind of in in my response to them, I said, like, oh, this sounds amazing. But like, just to clarify, <laughs> can you actually like, afford me? Are you really saying that you can pay for my travel? Because, you know, I, I want to come to, from Philadelphia. But like, if it was just me on my own, I don't think I'd be able to afford it at the time. Um, but yeah, they paid for my travel. I also amazing. think that um, they maybe there was like a speaking uh you know payment that they gave me of maybe like 150 euros okay um for incidentals yeah travel they basically pay for you just to get there um but so so you you show up and it's in a barn oh no no you're fine um and it's in a really amazing barn on a farm in Germany and um, there's a bar in the barn and you can just take like all the mineral water and beers that you want and just like there's a tally on the front of the fridge so you keep track of how much you're <laughs> drinking. <laughs> and um, yeah, at the end, they just deduct that amount from your your stay, um, the amount of beers that you drank. <laughs> how old is Zimmerhoff? How, how long is this um, symposium going on? I think on? this coming summer yeah um, which i believe is being curated by uh david bielander and helen Britton, <gasps> who are like you my know, contemporary jewelry dream yeah. couple if you guys don't know who they are look them up yes uh is the 50th year oh wow i so might be wrong about this, this but yeah yeah um it's it's probably like well known to everybody that that lives that's like in a Europe. part of the jewelry community in Europe but I had a very hard time finding anything about it when I was researching I never heard going. about it until I lurked you on Instagram <laughs> and you're like Zimmerhoff and yeah I'm like who's this girl and why is she in this place maybe it's because you you arrive and there's no cell service and you just like are transported back to a better time where you can't you just have to be <laughs> present yeah, with the people present. you're speaking yep. with <laughs> yeah it was it was oh. so amazing and wow um, yeah I, I I feel like I I had an opportunity to make like connections with other people you know um like Adam Grinovich and Annika Peterson um like Adams who I showed with in yeah um, exactly in August at Platina so uh you know it's it was a good opportunity to meet other artists and become familiar with other people's work, hear other people speak. Well, I hate, I mean, no one really likes to admit up to, admit to this, but networking, and I, I don't use, it's not schmoozing. There's a difference, okay? It's not schmoozing. It's networking and connecting with people. Yeah. And I mean, you went to Zimmerhof and that happened and 
then years later you're in a show with Adam and who knows how that connection actually helped you, yeah. but it necessarily, you know, it existed. Yeah. Something happened. Um, and I always think that's important. And I think for people who are thinking of like, well, I'm in the U S and I'm in, I'm going to school in South Dakota for jewelries and metals. Yeah. But like how does somebody ever show like in Europe or go to Munich jewelry week? If you want to go to Munich jewelry week, you Google it and you look yeah, it up because yeah. guess what? It's not that expensive. It's not that expensive. It's no. not even, it's actually free. Munich Jewelry Week yeah. is free. You just have to pay to get yourself there. Exactly. And to get a flight from, you know, wherever you are in the United States to Munich in March, um, it's pretty ex- surprisingly affordable. It really is. Um, and I mean, you know, I, I know that that, that's all relative because well, yeah. you can't go every year. But. No, but I mean, if you save up and you really want to go, I mean, I knew I had an opportunity to write it like grant money at a residency and I spent it all to go to Munich Jewelry Week. Yeah. And I know, I mean, it sounds cheesy, but it completely changed the trajectory of my life in some ways <laughs> because I was leaving this residency and I didn't know where I wanted to move and I was thinking Pennsylvania (laughs) or Philly because it's cheap and then I meet all these girls (laughs) and this really cool guy doing this ridiculous exhibition there and you all lived in Philly and that that really kind of tipped the scale for me moving here in some ways we were probably just like come move to Philly (laughs) yeah you kind of were we all went dancing and we had all these things happen and um but also, I will say for someone who was late in the game going from a craft school background than going to Munich Jewelry Week, um, it opened my eyes so much yeah. to the European aesthetic of contemporary jewelry, um, just the way that people were showing work, the innovative ways that they were displaying. Yeah. Um, also, I will just say, I showed up by myself super nervous and totally freaked out and within five minutes saw someone on the street and they're like hey how are you like the atmosphere of munich yeah. jewelry week was so inviting it didn't feel clicky it didn't feel like there was a hierarchy it just felt like everybody meeting some uh, like i remember sitting across from sandra sherman at dinner <laughs> and being like oh it's sandra sherman no big deal okay, cool. <laughs> and she was just so down to earth yeah. and was just talking to me like you know, well, I think the. I mean, it's nice that there's no, um, like there's no conference that you have to attend, and there's no, yeah. there's no, kind of paywall to entry. You know, you just have to get yourself there, and as long as you get yourself there, um, you could stay in like the cheapest hostel and eat like pretzels all week and <laughs> you'll be able to go wherever you want and like experience some of the most exciting jewelry that's happening yeah. in the world so um I guess we never really even said like yeah Munich Jewelry Week's not really a conference it's just a series no. of openings it, I mean it all formed around the um Schmuck and Talenta at the um Mesa and the conference center yeah um, but it's really evolved to become so much more than that (laughs) yeah so yeah and we have a gallery (laughs) yes yeah so 2018 munich jewelry week yep jv collective is going to be there yeah my first time showing internationally (laughs) here's hoping i can get my work on an airplane (laughs) and across that ocean yeah 
through customs. Well, if you're nervous, you could always like split the pieces up between three people. Oh, <laughs> you want insider tip? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, nice. So, um, thank you so much for sharing all these things. Because no problem. I find internationally like exhibiting work and all the things so. It's so foreign to me still. Yeah. But I find it very exciting. It's still very foreign to me, too. <laughs> and there's so much more than Munich Jewelry Week. There's Hoya and Barcelona. Yeah, exactly. There's what's the Zirod big... and There's um... Zirod, that's in Amsterdam. Yeah. Which and looks I... like Zirod, S I E. I'm probably not even saying it correctly. Yeah, so no, I apologize from... to. What's the big one in um, Australia that just happened? Radiant Pavilion. Yeah, and there was a group of Americans there. Yeah. Shared concerns, which are like Katie Sellers. Aaron Galligan um yeah that was really cool to have representation I mean it's pretty great like I I feel like uh, apparently there's going to be a New York jewelry week sometime soon so yeah Spell and Neiman working on that I would venture to guess I can't say for sure but that woman's got her finger on the pulse of everything up there okay um yeah, That's I exciting. mean, if, even if you can't get to Munich, chances are there is something happening. And, you know, I not I don't want to knock any of the good American stuff that's happening. Oh, no, too, there's, you know? there's, there's so other much... episodes for this. Yeah. Your episode is about internationally <laughs> focused exhibiting. But yeah. yeah, there's there's things happening at home, too. But so, I mean, I just think it's important to, like, build slowly off of the experience that you have and. Um, I mean, that's the way that I have tried to structure my career and just like applying to the things I can and like showing where I can. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, also Asia, like Korea. Yeah. South Korea has a huge contemporary jewelry scene. And that's like something Japan. I haven't really been able to do tap yet. into yet. Tap into yet. So, yeah, I'd like to. I've shown a little, like, maybe once or twice in Australia, but never in, um, like, Korea or Japan, China, places like that. So It's always room to grow. Yeah, exactly. That's South America. That's on your five-year plan. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. There you go. (laughs) Well, thank you for sharing so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. It's been lovely. (laughs) We're sitting in my living room freezing because my heat, my heater makes this loud buzzing noise. So I turned it off. So poor Mallory's like wrapped in a blanket over here. And I'm like, all right, we have to stop. I'm too cold. Um, But yeah. Well, if there's anything else that you want to know about exhibiting internationally, any listeners out there can feel free to email me. <laughs> yes. I'll put all her information in the description of the podcast. And you can also find me at perceived valued podcast at gmail.com. But yeah, this has been another episode of perceived value. Great. The podcast approaching the subject of value with artists <laughs> until next time. Perceived Value is a podcast recorded and produced by me, Sarah Rachel Brown. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as at Perceived Value. Stream us directly from our website at perceivedvaluedpodcast.com or listen on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Just don't forget to rate and review us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.